A lot of you know that our daughter Nikki uh, has, has served uh, in the past uh, in Indonesia with YWAM. She served about seven years with an organization called Youth with a Mission, and then she moved home. She graduated a year ago from MSU, and uh, she is really seeking what the Lord has next for her. So she is in Indonesia for three weeks, uh, traveling around the country and uh, just asking God, what are her next steps? What are the open doors? What do I need to do next? She's been considering law school. Uh, she's just trying to figure it out. And we got this picture from her this morning. She is in Surabaya. Hmm, this makes me kind of emotional. She's in Surabaya. And this man she's with is one of our missionaries that we support here at Connect. His name is John Taylor. And uh, when I was a young man, John lived with me for a summer while he was working on the railroad in Haver. And, uh, and he and his wife have been missionaries planting churches in Indonesia. I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 120, 130 churches they've planted in Indonesia. And so Nikki got to attend church this morning probably about 12 or 14 hours ago. She was in church with John. And then they took her out to lunch with their deacons and their pastors and ministered to her and spoken to her. She's been really, really sick. And so um, this was good news for us and just so good to see. Hmm. Anyway, thank you for praying for Nikki. She's on a journey of discovery. Hey, I want to I wanna share a story with you uh, that was a really awkward transition, but I got to stop crying here. Um, we've just been a little worried about Nick because she got real sick a few days ago, so it's just good to see her with friends. Um, last Sunday, if, if you were with us, man, what a great Sunday we had talking about what God is doing and how he is calling us to a new level of empowerment and uh, we had a bunch of people visiting us who had been away for, from Connect for a while and a couple of those were Sam and Muriel McGuire. Those of you that have been connectors for a long time, you'll remember the early days. Sam and Muriel were with us and uh, when we were done with our gathering last Sunday, I got to catch up with Muriel out in the foyer and I knew that Muriel had been in a terrible accident. Actually, both of them, I think Sam was driving. They were in a terrible car accident two years ago. And, uh, and so I was asking Muriel how her recovery has been. And she was in the hospital for weeks and weeks and weeks after her accident. Her, her doctors told her right after she had this accident that she had 14 serious injuries any one of which should have killed her. So she had 14 life-threatening injuries. And, and here she was at Connect, and she was, she was walking around, and she just looked great. And I was so surprised because I knew that her injuries had been extensive. And I said, Muriel, so many people were praying for you. And she said, Russ, the whole world was praying for me. They, they were formerly missionaries, and, and so they have contacts all over the world praying for her. And she said, I, I said, how are you doing? And she said, I am completely pain-free with the exception of she'd had surgery in June and she said, I have some surgical pain, but all of the pain from the car accident has been completely healed. 
she said that she was worried about her job. She was worried that she wouldn't be able to work when she recovered. She said she was able to go back to her job. The Lord protected that job. And she said, in fact, they gave her a promotion and her job is better now than before the accident. So just a great praise. And she said that her medical team calls her Miracle Muriel. So how cool is that? Because you know sometimes medical people can be skeptics, but uh, God did a miracle. We're, we're celebrating what God is doing here at Connect, um, and, 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 and God is doing stuff. I, I want to be sure that we celebrate whatever it is God is doing. So in the coming weeks... If God heals you, if God speaks to you, if God empowers you, will you be sure and let one of us on our staff know? Because we want to celebrate as, as we just follow the Lord and what he has for us in this season. Um, a passage from the Gospel of Luke that I shared last week, I, I just want to do a little bit of a recap if you weren't with us last week. These two verses have been inspiring me for the last several weeks from Luke chapter 6. It says... All these people had come to Jesus to listen to the word so that they could be healed of their diseases and set free from tormenting demonic powers. The entire crowd eagerly tried to come near to Jesus to touch him and receive healing because a tangible, supernatural power emanated from him and healed all who came close to him. This is just a beautiful, beautiful description of the nature of Jesus. And I shared with you last week that I believe that Jesus is calling us, as Connect Church, Jesus is calling us to live and move in a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what this message series is about that we're, that, that we're, that we're calling Empowered. Jesus is calling us to live and move in a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And last week I shared just a, a two-minute clip with you from Bill Johnson. And uh, I want to watch that again because it summarizes really where we're going in this message series. So take a look at this. Even if you saw it last week, I think you'll I pick up something I know that this is um, something that we repeat on somewhat of a regular basis, but I do it again today knowing that it's important for us to kind of pick up the slack in any area uh, that the Lord would enable us to pick up the slack in. And, and this is one in particular. God has called us to walk in equal measure of power and character. Both are important. Both are equally important. Now, I am, as much as anybody in the room, am frustrated with people who live a very compromised lifestyle and then pray for the sick and expect miracles to happen. It, it, it annoys me to pieces. And I understand why a large part of the church has come to the conclusion that character is more important than power. I understand how. I understand why. But it's a reaction to an error that in itself creates another error. I ask people the question, all right, what's more important then, to not quench the Holy Spirit or to not grieve the Holy Spirit? See, they both have equal measure of value, of importance. We grieve the Holy Spirit with sin, wrong ambition, wrong selfish attitudes. We grieve him through wrong activity. We quench him by the failure to cooperate with divine activity. 
we stop the flow of, it's to quench. To grieve the Holy Spirit is focused on character. To quench the Holy Spirit is focused on power. Those are the two legs we stand on. I want legs of equal length. It, it doesn't make me a noble person to emphasize character and not emphasize power. You'll get applause from the religious crowd, but it doesn't produce anything to bring about transformation in culture itself. Good, right? I want two legs of equal length. And uh, we need to stand on character and power. You can't select one to the exclusion of the other. So starting today and for the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on empowered character. And as we talk about character, I want to I define this for you. There's a couple of ways of understanding what character is, and I've got these, these definitions up on the screen. Uh, when you use the word character, you might be re uh, referring to the personality of an individual. You could say, oh, he's a real character. What are you saying? He's got a really interesting or unique personality, right? But the way I'm using the word character, and I think what Bill Johnson is referring to, is moral excellence and ethical consistency. When we say this is a person who has character, this is a leader who is, is exhibiting good character. We're talking about moral excellence and ethical consistency. And so for these next four weeks, we're gonna be focusing in on character and how the Holy Spirit empowers us for excellent character. Today I want to talk about your passion. Next week we're going to talk about your response to injustice. And then we're going to talk about your focus. And finally we'll talk about your foundation. Now you'll see all of these things have nothing to do with your personality. None of these things have to do with your identity. Although I think if you're following Jesus, he informs your identity and who you are. But really, these four topics uh, speak to our response under pressure. That's how our character is revealed. If you and I are under some sort of pressure or conflict, our character is re revealed by how we respond to those things. And so today, I want to ask the question about our character, yours and mine. I want to ask the question about our passion. Is our passion for the kingdom or is our passion for gratification? Because this is going to speak to your and my character. Kingdom or gratification. Now, for the next four weeks, I'm going to be hanging out in Luke chapter 6, and I know some of you have been reading ahead because I talked about that last week. We're going to be hanging out in a passage of Scripture called the Sermon on the Plain from Luke chapter 6. And here's what I want you to do. If you have a Bible or if you've got a device, I think it'll benefit you to turn to Luke chapter 6 this morning because uh, what you're going to see on the screen, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be mixing the verses all up. So your job is to keep me honest and so you need to check my work as we go along. And I'll say this along the way. Because of the holiday, holiday this week, I didn't get to meet with my teaching team this week. And so I am flying solo with none of their help. Which means I'm probably going to offend the old people and alienate the young people. So um, 
my team helps me be wise, and I have no safety net today, all right? So uh, it, it's your job to keep me on the straight and narrow. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 6. I want to give you a little bit of context for what we're going to see here. The context is this. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus went up onto a mountain and he prayed all night. There's a sermon in that all itself, but I'm not going to belabor the point. But Jesus was a man who recognized the need for prayer. Even though he was God in the flesh, he still needed to pray. How much do you think we need prayer in our lives if Jesus needed it? All night, all night prayer, right? And then uh, while he was on the mountain, he called his, his disciples up to meet him on the mountain. And while they were there with Jesus, after he'd prayed all night, he chose 12 to be apostles. Now, I think for a lot of us, we, we think of disciples and apostles as being the same thing. But there actually is a, a, a distinction. Let me tell you what the distinction is. The meaning of the word disciple is learner. A disciple is a learner. How many of you in the room are disciples? You're learning more and more about Jesus all the time, okay? Here's what an apostle is. An apostle is someone who is sent out. An apostle is a messenger for Jesus, okay? You understand the distinction? So there were lots of disciples. Jesus chose 12 of those learners to be people that he would send out with the mission of helping people reconnect to God. How many of you are sent by Jesus? Okay, a few fewer than the learners in the room. I want to propose to you that we are all sent by Jesus. We're all sent to be Jesus. Listen, Jesus, Jesus called us as his disciples. He called us to be people who transform culture. That's what Bill Johnson said. We are called to be people who transform culture. And that's why Jesus came and, and, and had this power not only to send people but to heal people. Why? Because Jesus was transforming the culture. And so this is the context that I want you to understand when we get now to this next part in, in Luke chapter 6 that's called the Sermon on the Plain. This was the setup. Jesus prayed all night. He selected 12 apostles, and then he began to heal and drive out demons and do all this miraculous work. And then do you know what was next? He taught his disciples about character. Now, this might be a little bit of a surprise. Power is emanating from Jesus. He's healing. He's driving out demons. Don't you think he would sit down with the apostles and go, okay, now I want to train you on how to exercise people from demons, okay? I'm going to send you out. You need to know how to, how to drive out demons. Or, or wouldn't you think that he would sit down with those apostles and say, you need to know how to heal people. Let me show you all the ropes. I'll give you all the tricks. No, that's not what Jesus does. The first thing he does is teach about character. Why? Because character and power are the two legs we stand on, and we need them both. So I want to talk about what Jesus had to say about character. Now, the first thing that Jesus shares with his disciples, the first paragraph, and if you've got 
uh, Luke 6 open, you'll see there that uh, if, your, if your Bible has headings, you'll see there that it probably says the Beatitudes. How many of you have that in, in, your, in your version? The Beatitudes, okay? That's a fancy word for uh, blessings. Jesus just says who is going to be blessed. And as I started to study uh, this passage in Luke 6, I immediately recognized, hey, there's a lot of similarities here in Luke chapter 6 to the Beatitudes that we read in Matthew chapter 5, which is what, what uh, is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Did you know that Jesus preached a lot of different sermons? Okay, And in Matthew chapter 5, he preached the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke chapter 6, we read the Sermon on the Plain, and there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of similarities. But actually, when you study it carefully, what you find out is these are two different sermons with a lot of the same material, but the message had a focus that was unique. And today, I believe Jesus is speaking to us from the Sermon on the Plain because he wants us to hear the focus of this section. Let, let me just give you a little bit of the differences. In Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, these Beatitudes were directed to the crowd. But in Luke chapter 6, it was directed to the disciples. If you look at the beginning of this passage, you see that Jesus lifted up his eyes and he talked to the disciples. This wasn't for everybody. This was for the disciples, the learners, and the apostles, the sent ones. It's a list of blessings in Matthew chapter 5. What we're going to find when we're, we're reading in Luke chapter 6 is Jesus pronounces all these beatitudes, all these blessings, but he also says, and woe to you who. So there's, there's this weightiness in Luke chapter 6 that, that you will be blessed if you have this character, but woe to you if you have this character. It, it, it's very serious and, and heavy. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus mentions prophets once. Luke chapter 6, prophets are mentioned twice, specifically the Old Testament prophets. And the reason I think this is important is because one of the things that I know is when you're studying Scripture, when something is repeated, especially in, in Jesus' teachings, when Jesus repeats something, my ears perk up and I go, I think Jesus wants me to pay attention to this, right? And because Jesus repeats the example of the prophets in Luke chapter 5, I believe he's saying something to this, and this is what I think his point is. Jesus is calling his disciples, his learners, to develop the same character qualities that the prophets had. Now, if you've been uh, if you've read the Bible for any length of time, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you'll know that the prophets, a lot of times, they lived tough lives, right? They, they endured a lot of hardship. Their way was not easy. They received a message from the Lord. They were commissioned by the Lord to go out and preach whatever it was God was saying, and a lot of times it wasn't received very well. Could it be that Jesus is saying to us, as he's pouring out a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit on us, that he wants us, connectors, he wants us to have the same character qualities that the Old Testament prophets had. Why? Because in all likelihood, if we're going to be on mission with Jesus, and if our goal is the transformation of culture, we're probably going to run into some pressure. How will you and I respond 
under pressure. That's your character. So the question again this morning is, is your passion the kingdom of God? Or is your passion gratification? Jesus is going to address those very issues in the Beatitudes. That was a really long introduction, wasn't it? Before we jump into these Beatitudes, let me just talk about what the meaning of the kingdom is. This is one of J.D.'s favorite topics. I was thinking about you this week, J.D., even though we didn't meet. Um, the kingdom of God. What's your favorite definition? What's your favorite definition of the kingdom of God, J.D.? Already and not yet. Already and not yet. Yes. The kingdom of God speaks of the rule and reign of Jesus over all of creation. That's what the kingdom of God is, okay? Got that? Say that with me. The rule and reign of Jesus over all of creation. That's the kingdom of God, okay? Now, J.D.'s favorite part of this is the kingdom of God is already and it's not yet. In other words, the kingdom of God is already here on this earth. It, 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 it launched when Jesus was walking on, on planet earth. We're living in the kingdom of God. We, we're participating in the kingdom of God. But there's a whole nother part of it that's going to come when Jesus returns. Okay? Already and not yet. A lot of times when we talk about the kingdom of God or when we start reading these Beatitudes, what we picture is heaven. Okay? I read somebody this week, a commentator, that said, um, oh, I wrote it down because I thought it was funny. Pie in the sky when we die by and by, okay? The kingdom of God is not pie in the sky when we die by and by. The kingdom of God is now, and it's in the future, already and not yet. So the question I'm asking today, the question Jesus is asking us, is when it comes to your passion, is your passion about the kingdom of God? Or is your passion about your personal gratification? Here, here's where we're going to go. I'll give you a little roadmap so you don't fall asleep on me, okay? Bump your neighbor a little bit. Don't fall asleep, okay? Here's where we're going. Jesus has four beatitudes and four woes, okay? We're going to talk about each one of them. They address the gratifications that we can be passionate about. I'm going to talk about each one of these gratifications from the Beatitudes. I'm going to give you a, a, an example of how this lived out in the life of a prophet or an apostle. And then we're going to talk briefly about the blessing that comes when we live passionate for the kingdom of God. Got that? Okay, four blessings and then passion for the kingdom of God. Here's the first gratification that Jesus addresses. It's the gratification of wealth. Jesus just goes for the jugular, doesn't he? Every single time. Here's what he says, and this is, this is why I think it's important to have your Bible open, because you'll see on the screen here, I've got uh, Luke 6.20 and also Luke 6.24. I'm, I'm, I'm making these juxtaposed so you can see the contrast here, okay? In verse 20, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Now, one of the things that I know about Jesus when he teaches, 
A lot of times when Jesus is teaching, he uses hyperbole. Do you know what hyperbole is? Hyperbole is, is when you use language that's purposely exaggerated to make a point, right? So Jesus is saying, you're, you're blessed if you're poor, but there is woe, there is sorrow, there is heartache if you're rich. The reason I believe that this is hyperbole is because Jesus really nowhere ever says there's something wrong with being rich. What he's talking about here is that if your focus is on your wealth, if your passion is about your wealth, you're going to miss out on the blessing of the kingdom. Again, it's where is your passion? Is your passion for the kingdom of God or is your passion for your money? Where are you at? Now, I, I like being comfortable. I think most of us like being comfortable. But Jesus says, listen, there's, if you've got a passion for the kingdom, there's got to be more than just hoarding your money and your wealth and your stuff. There's a beautiful contrast in John chapter 12, and this isn't up on your screen, uh, but there, there's an account in John chapter 12. It, it, it happened just before Jesus was crucified. And Jesus came to his friend's house in Bethany. You might remember the, these people, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, two sisters and her brother. Jesus comes to their house, and Mary, who loved Jesus so much, Mary brings this jar of pure nard. Nard is an essential oil. Those of you that do oils, you can actually buy nard oil to this day. Very, very expensive, very difficult to procure, and, and, and I'm pretty sure that if you were to buy this on the open market today, you'd spend probably 50 bucks, 75 bucks on a tiny little vial of it, just, just a little bit, right? She brings... Uh, the Bible says she brings a jar of 12 ounces of nard. It was worth a year's wages, okay? Now, now, this is what's interesting here. If Mary could afford to spend a year's wages on a jar of perfume, she had a little bit of money, right? But she loved Jesus. And John tells us that just before Jesus goes to be crucified, she comes to Jesus and she breaks open this jar and she pours the whole thing on Jesus' feet and dries his feet with her hair. This opulent act of worship. Why? Because she loved Jesus and she loved the king more than she loved the value of this stuff. Where's your passion? You know what happened right after that? One of the apostles, the sent ones, Judas, got his panties in a wad, got real upset. Why? He said, this, this jar of perfume could have, be, could have been sold, and it could, the money could have been given to the poor. Oh, he was so self-righteous, wasn't he? And John tells us he really didn't care about the poor, but he was dipping into the money pot to enrich himself. Now, isn't this interesting that one of the learners, Mary, she was a disciple. She had a passion for the kingdom. But one of the apostles, Judas, his character was revealed. He loved money. He had a passion for money and enriching himself. 
Which one of the two do you think was blessed in the long run? You know the end of the story of Judas, right? Can I just ask you the question this morning? Where's your passion? Is it in the gratification of wealth or is it in loving the kingdom of God, King Jesus, and everything he cares about? It's interesting that that verse is still up there. The verse 24 says, Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. If you read this in the original language, that word comfort is the Greek word paraklesis. It's an adverb. Adjective? I can't remember. It's one of those ad words. The noun form of this word is paraclete. And that's the word Jesus uses when he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you as your comforter. This is powerful. Don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this, guys. Listen, if you love money, all of your comfort is just going to be in your money. But if you love the kingdom of God, your comfort comes from the Holy Spirit. Who are you going to cuddle with? When push comes to shove, your money isn't going to be a very good cuddle. I got to keep moving or I'm going to be here all day. Let's go on to the second gratification. Second one Jesus addresses is the gratification of indulgence. The gratification of indulgence. Here again, I'm, I'm juxtaposing these two verses, 21 and 25. Jesus says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. But woe to you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. Now, I think when Jesus is teaching here about indulgence, uh, hunger is really a metaphor for whatever it is we crave. Some of us live to eat, okay? Some of us eat to live. It really is about where your passion is. Some of us have a passion to indulge other desires in our lives. Some of us fall into this trap of living our whole lives with the passion of fulfilling every sexual desire that we have. It's, it's indulgence. It's, it, it's just seeking to satisfy a craving that you have. And, and it's so easy to fall into the trap of not having any gate on satisfying your desires or your cravings. And here's what happens is when we give in to this passion for indulgence, our cravings tend to control us. Do you know what I'm talking about? We find ourselves doing things and living lifestyles that we never imagined that we would do. And it leads to shame and regret. That's the woe part of this beatitude. Shame and regret. And so one of the things that character calls us to do is to put a gate on some of these cravings that we have. Um, it is no secret to any of you, I'm sure, that I love to eat. Love to eat. And, uh, and as a result, one of the things that I have found very difficult to practice in my life is fasting. Um, I don't know about you, um, I, I have tried fasting, and um, 
I'll go about five hours and I can't stand it anymore and I'm into the cookies. I, I mean, it, it's just hard, right? And so if you've been here at Connect for any length of time, you may or may not have noticed that I haven't taught on fasting because I don't like to teach on stuff that I don't practice in my life. And at some point in the distant past, I just said, okay, fasting just isn't my thing. I'll do something else to connect with Jesus. Two weeks ago in our teaching team meeting, we were, we were prepping for last week's message, actually, and Juan Carlos, uh, are you here today, Juan? Juan's not here. Juan Carlos is part of our teaching team for the summer while he's here, and, and he said to us in, with his Spanish accent, I'm not going to try to imitate it, uh, but he said, do we ever teach on fasting anymore, or is that just out of style? <laughs> it's like a dagger to the heart. Ah! I said, Juan, I am terrible at fasting. And Jesus says, woe to you who are well fed now. So I did a little studying this week on fasting. There's an account in Acts chapter 13 about the apostles, these sent ones, and, and these Prophets and teachers gather together in Acts chapter 13, and, and, uh, and they've got this goal. They know they've got to send some people out on missionary journeys to plant churches in Asia. And, and, and so what do they do? Acts 13 says, one day these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit said, appoint to me Barnabas and Saul for the special work I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And you probably know, if you've ever read the book of Acts, Saul becomes the apostle Paul. He plants churches all over Asia and writes half of the New Testament. Could it be that one of the keys to empowerment in our lives is the character quality of saying no to the indulgences that we crave deepest. Could it be that Jesus is calling me and you to maybe practice fasting from time to time? Because when we're under pressure, our character is going to be revealed. And I need to know, you probably need to know, that you can say no to the cravings of your, of your heart when push comes to shove, if the pressure's on. Do you know what I'm saying? One of the things Paul wrote in Philippians, Philippians 3, this is so crazy. Philippians said, there are many out there who are taking other paths, other paths than Christianity, choosing other goals and trying to get you to go along with them. Do you know there's pressure for you to go along with the crowd? Paul says, all they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross, but Easy Street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their gods. Belches are their praise. All they can think about is their appetites. These are people whose passion is for gratification. And I want to ask you, where's your passion? Is it on gratification or is it on the kingdom of God? Okay, Jesus doesn't stop here. Don't you love Jesus? Here's the third gratification he addresses. It's the gratification of entertainment. Verse 
Americans love to be entertained, don't we? Jesus says, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. For whatever reason, the older I get, the more I hate emotional movies. Chris and I were scrolling through uh, Amazon the other night. We just had a couple of hours. We decided to watch a movie, and so we were clicking through, and, and, uh, and Amazon had new movies, and there was a movie there that we saw, and, and it had the title, and then it said comedy and feel-good and entertaining. And so we clicked on that because I like to laugh. And we got about 10 minutes into the movie, and it was about this guy whose wife had died, and it was, we watched it to the end, and Chris and I were just both puddles. And I couldn't even get through the credits. I just clicked it off, and I said, I'm, I, I'm done. I'm done crying. I don't want to cry anymore. <laughs> right? Why? Because we love to laugh. Laugh is a diversion. Laughter is a diversion. Entertainment is a diversion. Why? Because sometimes it's really difficult to think. Am I the only one? Sometimes it's difficult to be aware of what's happening in the world because if we focus on it, man, it's scary out there. But if our passion is just for entertainment and we never take the time to wake up and see what's happening in the world, we're, we're, the laughter's all we're going to have. Instead of transforming culture, we're just going to ignore culture. Ezekiel was a prophet from the Old Testament who was directed by God to find people who were weeping for the kingdom. And let me just read this verse to you from Ezekiel 9. Go through the streets of Jerusalem, God said, and put a mark on the forehead of anyone who is in anguish over the outrageous obscenities being done in the city. Listen, I think it's important for us, as much as we love to be entertained, television and movies and, and recreation and sports and all those kinds of things, it's important for us to be aware of what's happening in the culture. And we've got to be in prayer. And I, I think we've got to let the Holy Spirit move our emotions to even mourn for what's happening in our culture. Why? Because Jesus is calling us and he's sending us to transform the culture by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it won't happen if we don't care. We won't care if we're not aware. Listen. I want people to be blessed. I don't want people to be woed. Is it possible Jesus is sending us to change and transform our culture? The answer is yes. Okay, here's the last one, number four. And then we'll get to the kingdom. The last gratification Jesus addresses is the gratification of people-pleasing. Oh, he just goes for the jugular every time. Blessed are you when the people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and scorn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. That's the key phrase there. On account of the Son of Man. 
Rejoice on that day and jump for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For their fathers used to treat the prophets the same way. Here, here's, I'm kind of landing the plane here. Jesus is calling us to have the same character qualities as the prophets had. And the prophets were rejected. Verse 26 says, Woe to you when all the people speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets the same way. What Jesus is saying is, listen, if everybody likes you, you might be in the same tribe as the false prophets from the Old Testament. Everybody liked the false prophets because they just told everybody what they wanted to hear. I want you to think about the great prophets of the Bible. And some of these stories might be familiar to you. They might be new to you if you're new to Christianity. There's a prophet named Elijah. And he had this showdown with the prophets of Baal. They were trying to call down fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal failed. But when Elijah prayed to God to, to call down fire from heaven, God delivered. Fire fell, consumed the sacrifice and the altar and everything. But a short time after that, Elijah became a hunted man. He had to flee his country to survive, and he was later accused of being the troubler of Israel. Okay? True prophets aren't always popular. God sent the prophet Jeremiah to tell his people to surrender to the Babylonians when they came in to take them slaves. Jeremiah said, you have to surrender. They called him a traitor. Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet who announced God's judgment upon his own land, and he was accused of being a false prophet. Have you ever been slandered because of Jesus? It happens. The Old Testament prophet Daniel was thrown into a den of lions. Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, was beheaded. Jesus was crucified. Listen, the heroes of the faith weren't interested in the gratification of people-pleasing. But so easily we can get caught up on, in, in just avoiding subjects because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be judged. We don't want to be excluded. So we give in to the gratification of people-pleasing. One of the commentators that I was reading this week said this, I know some Christians who are flat-out unlikable people, and so do you. It's not because they're especially spiritual. It's because they are grumpy, full of themselves, inconsiderate, and self-absorbed. Some Christians see the fact that they are unpopular as a vindication of their I'm right and the world can go to hell attitude. That's not what Jesus is saying. And Jesus isn't saying that his followers will never be popular. For much of his ministry, Jesus was immensely popular with the common people. What he is saying is that popularity is a dangerous value system on which to judge ourselves or others. People are notoriously fickle. What may be in favor one day may be considered in poor taste just a few years later. And we see massive shifts in public opinion in in, in short time frames. Just because in a democracy, majority rules does not mean that majority is right. As followers of Jesus, listen, we've got to repent of the gratification of people pleasing. 
And we've got to be focused on just pleasing Jesus and living with passion for his kingdom. So those are the four Beatitudes. Now let's just briefly talk about passion for his kingdom. We've already read a couple of great promises. When you're passionate for the kingdom of God, Jesus says you are blessed in the present. What does the word blessed mean? It just means it is well with my soul. Okay? It doesn't necessarily mean you have all kinds of money. It doesn't, doesn't mean that you're never sick. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means things are right between you and God. When, when I'm living with a passion for the rule and reign of Jesus over all creation, I live a blessed life. But in addition to that, you have an abundant and blessed future. Remember JD's definition? Already and not yet. When we are suffering, when, when we suffer because of our character, we, when we suffer because we are pursuing the kingdom of God and, and, and things are tough in this life, you can know there's something for you in the not yet. That's a powerful pro- promise. And, and sometimes that anchor helps us keep going when life is tough. What did Jesus say? He said, above all, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. What's he talking about? Where's your passion? If your passion is for God's kingdom, you can trust that he's going to meet all of your needs. So you're blessed in the present, you're blessed in the future. Thirdly, you will participate in the harvest of Jesus' mission. What am I talking about? Do you know that when we're focused on the kingdom of God, what happens is Jesus is constantly adding people into the kingdom of God. And when that's my passion, I find that I grab opportunities to share Jesus with somebody that doesn't know him. Or I grab an opportunity to help somebody grow. I'm building into somebody's kingdom life and I'm helping people grow. And what am I doing? I'm participating in the harvest that Jesus is bringing on the earth. That's valuable. When I was a kid, they used, to, they used to talk about, you know, if you lead somebody Jesus to Jesus, you're going to get a star in your crown in heaven. I don't find that particularly motivating. I don't really care about a crown or a star. But I do care that people I love know Jesus. And I do care that they enter into the blessing of living their lives for Jesus. And when, we're, when, when our passion is for the kingdom, we participate in that harvest. And then one more thing I'll mention is that if you have a passion for the kingdom, you're going to be in the company of heroes. You're in the company of heroes. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. If you've never read Hebrews 11, you should read it today talks about all the great heroes of the faith that walked with God and made a difference and changed the world. And, 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 and it's an encouragement for us to, 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 to join that company. And I think about people like missionaries and, and, and people of great influence that are helping people come to know Jesus. One of my favorite stories that I've told often is Victor Plymeyer was a missionary to Tibet. You, you might remember this story. And while he was in Tibet, his first wife uh, got sick with malaria or something and, and, and died. 
and along with their baby, and a terrible, terrible tragedy. And he bought a small little plot of land and buried her in the frozen tundra in a shallow grave. And, 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 and that terrible tragedy never stopped him. He just kept pushing, and he kept pushing on the doors of ministry opportunities in Tibet, planted a small church that just struggled and scraped by. But decades later, what happened was the deed to that cemetery plot became the evidence that that, that little church needed to be approved by the Chinese government for existence as a church. And they were able to produce that deed and, and be recognized by the Chinese authorities as a church that could exist. And, and Victor Plymeyer invested his whole life, saw very little result, but over the course of decades, the investment came with a harvest. Victor Plymeyer is in the Hall of Heroes. I hope you will be in the Hall of Heroes too. Let me finish with this question. What if you said yes to being sent by Jesus, no matter what it cost you? What if you said yes to being sent by Jesus, no matter what it cost you? Here's what I know. The Holy Spirit will empower you. And he will send you, and we can be change agents for our culture. I believe that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Okay, would you put your things aside? Stand with me, would you? Here's the question that I've been wrestling with all week. If I'm passionate about the wrong things, how do I change my passion? I love to eat and I hate fasting. How do I change my passion? How do I love God's kingdom more than I love donuts? It's sweeter. Who's, did you say that? It is. Does it come with sprinkles? Mm. Here's the answer that I feel like Jesus whispered to my heart. The way I change my passion is by orienting myself to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will empower me to be passionate about what, he'll give me a new passion. Because what I've learned in 60 years of life 
is that trying harder rarely works. I have to have an encounter with Jesus. So what we're going to do here as we, as we activate this teaching today is I want us to seek an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And, and we're going to pray for three things. I, I'm, I want to lead us in a prayer of repentance first. So uh, if, you, if you are brave enough to confess that you're passionate for the wrong thing, then we will, we will pray for repentance. And we're going to pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is uh, an interaction that will give you new desires. We're going to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is just being rocked by the presence of that, That's what we're going to pray for this morning. But before we get to those prayers, I, I want us to just prepare the soil with one more worship song, okay? So um, hang with me, will you please? Because I, I don't want you to miss without encountering the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. This, this is the whole key. So we're going to sing, and then we're going to pray. All right, here we go. First thing we're going to pray about this morning is a shift of our hearts from loving those things that gratify ourselves to loving the kingdom of God. Bible word is repentance. Sometimes we think of repentance as feeling sorry and having some guilt and shame or whatever. Repentance just means I'm going to shift my focus from, I'll use my word, donuts to Jesus. Okay? That's what repentance is. I'm changing my focus from that to him. Okay? If that's what you need prayer for this morning, I want you to do something tangible and powerful. I want you to move from where you are and come right down here and turn around and face the church, okay? If you're, you're gonna pray a prayer of repentance this morning, whether it's the first time or the millionth time, right here, just come and make a line and, and turn to the front. Thank you so much. Okay, now those of you that came forward, for repentance, would you pray this prayer? Just pray it out loud with me. Lord Jesus, I'm turning away from the old things and I'm turning to you. Jesus, I'm repenting today. And Jesus, I'm asking you to empower me by the Holy Spirit to love your kingdom Okay, now you don't have to repeat this. I'm going to pray over you, okay? Lord Jesus, some of us this, this morning, we are repenting of sin that we have embraced. Some of us are repenting of wrong attitudes, wrong behaviors, wrong loves. We, we've just, we, we have fallen into the trap of gratifying ourselves with, with these wrong loves. Jesus, today we're asking for a cleansing of sin. We're asking you, Lord, to wash away the shame and the regret that, 
that we're feeling. And Jesus, instead, we pray that you'll replace that shame and regret and the blackness of the sin. Jesus, we're praying that you will, will replace that with the light and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that every single person that is standing here today will be changed right now. Change in Jesus' name. Change in Jesus' name. That this will be a moment in time where this, this walking forward will be a shift in the heavenlies and, and we will no longer be the same. Absolutely not the same ever again. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. More, Lord. More, Lord. Pour it out, Jesus. Pour out more transformation. More power, Lord Jesus. Bring it, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to absolutely rock us today, Jesus, as we lean into you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.